0: welcome to the ignite physio podcast this is episode number nine and i'm andrew kopian your host this podcast focuses on helping canadian physiotherapists in their clinical practice and careers now if you haven't heard of ignite physio before it's a free community driven website for physiotherapists where you can ask and answer practice questions find useful articles and access a data bank of reviewed clinical resources so a couple of things i wanted to share before we jump into our uh, interview call for today Uh, First off, uh, we've added a section on the website that pulls in upcoming courses from across the country in one easy list. So you can filter and sort based on topic area and course provider or province. So now you don't need to check 10 different websites to see what's coming up. And then tied into that, we've developed a course review section. So you can read course reviews as well as leave reviews of courses you've taken. So I'd encourage you to head over there and leave a review of a course you've taken so that we can start to build up that uh, data bank of reviewed courses. In today's episode, I interview Mary Wood. She's a pelvic health physiotherapist and clinic owner in Edmonton. We had a great chat about her career, pelvic health physiotherapy, abdominal training, and more. Enjoy. Today I'd like to introduce you to Mary Wood, Uh, she's a physiotherapist uh, here in Edmonton and she graduated from the University of Alberta PT program back in 1981 and for about the last 20 years she's had a special interest in pelvic health. Uh, She opened her own clinic uh, called uh, Cura Physical Therapies in 2003 and if there's anyone I know uh, she is passionate about uh, lifelong learning and uh, Mary is actively involved with the Pain Society of Alberta and the Alberta Council of Professionals for Sexual Health and Pelvic Health Physiotherapists. So Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, before we uh, dive into uh, you know the whole topic of pelvic health, which I know that uh, there's a lot of interest in the community about this uh, area, I'd love to uh, just uh, know a little bit more about um, just filling people in in terms of how your career has evolved over the years and, uh, and what led you to really focus in uh, pelvic health.
1: Okay. Well, I started out in physio um, because I wanted to be a spin- I wanted to work in the area of spinal cord injuries. So I obviously got, didn't go that route. Um, after I graduated, I worked in Toronto at a really big hospital where um, I was just part of a team, but I got to work with orthopedic surgeons. And it was interesting, and I worked with another physio. We developed a cardiac a cardiac rehab program after I did some additional courses in that area. So you can see I sort of jumped all over. Uh-huh. And then I almost left physio because I was pretty disillusioned with it because we there was such a, an emphasis in that early 80s that you followed what the doctors told you to do, and it just didn't sit well with me. And it was doing some of the orthopedic courses, and specifically Wendy Aspinall, that really um, she turned she made me aware of how the body worked as a whole, and and that's probably been at the basic background of everything I've done since. So then I went off on the orthopedic manual therapy because back in the '80s, that was probably about the one of the few things you could do if you didn't go the Bobath route, mm-hmm. not like all of the opportunities that uh, people have today. So did that. Um, stayed in orthopedics, did some of the teaching of some of the levels at some point uh, over the years, worked in rural Alberta, and then have spent the last um, 25 years in Edmonton. Fell into the area of pelvic health um, because I happened to work in a building where there were lots of obstetrician gynecologists, and uh, my boss said, would I be interested in this thing called women's health? And I wasn't quite sure because I was an orthopedic manual therapist, um, but my sister actually uh, called me to task and said, you know, I've, I've been making a number of comments about how women's, women weren't treated properly in the health system and their needs weren't being met. And uh, so she sort of challenged me to take the course and my eyes were opened. Um, mostly because when I came back, I discovered that many of the reasons my women patients weren't doing things may have had to do with pelvic health issues, and I started finding out more of their story. And uh, that's sort of how I started into pelvic health. And my practice has continued to be a mixture of orthopedics and pelvic health over the years. And, and I like that because I don't want to just do just one thing. Though mm-hmm. Pelvic health, you have to be good at all areas of physio.
0: And so what uh, made you uh, step out and start your own clinic then?
1: Um, I have to say that it probably wouldn't have been my, I probably would have just continued working Uh, at the time. I had a colleague who was really, wanted to own a clinic and the two of us thought this would be a great idea. She wanted to do business and I had these ideas that we wanted to explore. So That's how Cura started, was uh, the two of us, and then after a few years, um, she chose to um, step out of physio for a bit, and I ended up taking it over, which was a whole other learning curve around business, Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, have kept a fairly busy caseload since. And at the time, we didn't know that it could, it it was unusual to have pelvic health as a a focus for a um, private practice.
0: Yeah, that is unique, isn't it? I mean, because I would say probably in Edmonton, you're probably the only clinic that really has a specialty in that area, correct?
1: Right, and there are a lot of other clinics that have um, that are just pelvic health. Um, I think in Western Canada, the only other one that would be similar to us is Nova Physio in um, in, in Winnipeg. That's got a real mixture of MSK and pelvic
0: health. So you feel like uh, having your own clinic has helped give you some of that freedom to be able to explore some of these different uh, areas and uh, areas of interest?
1: Well, I wasn't really constrained Mm -hmm. by uh, maybe a corporate vision, Mm -hmm. and uh, except that the vision has always been, how can we do this better? How can we make make it better for patients. Mm -hmm. So that's led off in a variety of directions.
0: Yeah, that's great. Now I noticed uh, on your bio that you are certified in body uh, psychotherapy. So I'd I'd love to know a little bit more about that because I'm not familiar with that certification. So what what does that consist of?
1: uh, IVP is integrated body psychotherapy is just one of the many body-based psychotherapies um, that came out of the States and they had an allied health portion to that, that I was fortunate to, to take um, over the course of four years. And it's helped me to just be a better physio, not that I delve into that area. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just made me more aware um, of how to listen to patients and their stories and what might else be going on. And then to collaborate and send people on for counseling or psychotherapy that they may need.
0: Hmm. That's very cool. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of different uh, you know rabbit trails we could go down today in terms of uh, t- topics. Um, and uh, I thought it would be great to maybe start a little bit more with um, you know just with the pelvic health side of things. And um, you know, I guess, what do you feel? Um, or how do you feel new grads are uh, coming out uh, of school with a pelvic health understanding, um, and and where do you do you see a shift in terms of, uh, uh, you know what what's needed in the in the in the community?
1: Um, well, there's been some changes. It, it, but first of all, is what are the students leaving with? It really is variable across the country, uh, just from talking to my colleagues at other universities. Um, Coming from U of A, all of the students have the benefit of, I think, currently four hours of listening to um, just a general lecture um, that hopefully makes them a little more comfortable, but I don't know how much you can actually get out of four hours in... And amongst everything else they talk about. And um, I know they sometimes they have Dr. Eshmael come in and do a talk on, on sexuality. But again, these are small snippets. And, and how it takes, I'm not sure, amongst all the other things they're exposed to. Um, U of A has a pelvic health elective that I'm currently um, instructing in. And that has grown dramatically over the years. So the interest is really there. Um, We started out with about 10 people taking that elective and we've now um, been up to just over 40 and that's about what I can handle. Um, But again, it's a really 12 hours. And the point of that elective is to really give them what I think general physios should know about pelvic health, like just some basic questions to ask patients or things to listen for. Uh, some education, making them comfortable doing the coccygeal movement test, which is a valid test and a reliable test for, um, what's the word, screening for pelvic floor function that can be done externally, just palpating the coccyx, Hmm. and just some basic instruction in in what are good pelvic floor muscle training cues that I think physios should know. Mm -hmm. Um, Hmm. And... yeah.
0: So so for like if you're uh, looking at, uh, you know, if you have an interest in pelvic health, I mean, what, what uh, do you typically recommend, whether to students or early career uh, physiotherapists that are interested in that area, what, what would you say are, are good things to look at doing?
1: Well, you can become involved in pelvic health early. Um, I think doing it on your own as a sole person, doing it in a clinic is really hard mm-hmm. um, because it is beyond doing internals and doing pelvic floor muscle training you have to know how to treat the lumbo-pelvic area, um, have a knowledge of the different electrical modalities. Um, so I, I think that they can start doing pelvic uh, health and there's, there's a variety of level one courses. Um, Diana McDonald does one usually twice a year here in Edmonton. And then there's pelvic health solutions with Nellie Figani and Carolyn Van Deaken have developed a really good program of, a, I think it's up to seven different layers. Uh, uh, levels. And then um, Claudia Brown, who's the person that taught me back in 1994, she and uh, Marie Jose Lord continue to teach um, somewhat across the country and a lot in Quebec because they teach in French and English. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some of the people that are doing most of the teaching in Canada and they do really good courses.
2: Mm-hmm
0: that's great I, just to, to come back a little bit to what you were mentioning about this whole you know interconnection and looking at the body as a whole and something that uh, has really been a focus uh, in your uh, practice I'd love to know a little bit more about what um, you know maybe it's a uh, you know a recent case you've seen or some uh, situations where that maybe the pelvis wasn't necessarily considered initially um, but it actually did have a role and what, what kind of the, you know, sort of uh, indicators did you see um, or typically look for when you're saying, hey, hang on a second, maybe there's something more here than, you know, than just the low back or, or no. Well,
1: and, and I don't, I'm going to give you a recent case. that actually kind of goes the other way. Um, I was sent somebody from another physio because this person had persistent um, tailbone buttock pain. hmm that had not resolved and they were, I would say they had good physio cover, good physio had looked at this. It had been, they thought it was maybe hamstrings, but it wasn't. And, um, on assessing them, what we found, what, uh, what I found was they had a a number of non-optical movements in running, which was when they would get the pain. And, um, it was looking at the foot and addressing some of the biomechanical faults in the foot um, that made the difference in that pain Hmm. and they were able to resume running so sent to me for pelvic health Mm -hmm. didn't have any of the bladder bowel issues that uh, could be going on with that Um, so it can go the other way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the same time it's the number of people we see with low back that. I've seen and I can't think of one in particular right off the top of my head. That, um, But a conglomerate would be people that are coming that have, have unresolving low back pain. And then when you take the history, you find out they had um, a grade three tear in a birth with an episiotomy, um, and they had a lot of pelvic girdle pain in pregnancy, maybe maybe five years old. Um, and that, that low back pain, they've gone through the typical, they they probably had a mechanical problem there. Uh Um, but you address that and they're not getting better. And it's because of the mechanical problems that go on in, in the coccyx Uh and in in the pelvic region and just some, a really simple mobilization of, of the coccyx can make a, a really, a really big difference. Um, because many, many times when, when women have had, um, a forceps delivery, they've delivered in the position, the sacrum and the tailbone are, are held in a position so that the pelvic floor is at a mechanical disadvantage. Um, it's like the sacrum's held in mutation is what I think. Mm-hmm. Don't have research to prove this. Mm-hmm. But what you see is that they've got a lack of extension in their back you do a very specific sacro mobilization and then they have better extension, better function, and their pelvic floor works better. And it's a really simple mobilization, but it, I will say that most physios are not comfortable palpating beneath the PSIS and just medial of the ischial tuberosities. And it's a really, I don't think you're in an area that you'd really have to be careful um, because you're not, you know, near the anus or the vagina or anything like that. This is just a simple SC mobe mm-hmm. um, done with the pelvis in a pelvis in a form open position. Mm-hmm. So if I can put a plug in for that little mobe to be done.
0: <laughs> you're going to throw that right in.
1: <laughs> I, I would love to, You know, it's, it's, it's one that I teach in the in the elective. And when we had more time, we would try to get it taught in that four-hour little window because it's so simple. Mm-hmm. And it makes such a difference. I call it my party trick because you do that and the patient stands up and goes, wow.
0: Yeah, yeah. And they're kind of amazed. Well, and I think it touches on to, you know, just even in terms of what you're saying around uh, really that history taking and, and understanding that story because even in that example, I mean, you know, I think that a lot of times we don't necessarily ask some of those details around, you know, what their, what their birth, uh, you know, process was like and, you know, was there any tearing that took place and, and, and you know
1: and I was no different mm-hmm. you know like that's when I when when I started doing this it was here suddenly paying attention or or thinking what how does that change how this person functions um, and I know we're talking all about women and we'll mm-hmm. talk about men in a minute mm-hmm. um, but it's something as simple as if women have you know, there's over 40% of women have bad enough menstrual cramps that they're taking off time from school.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If you think about that and what that means over a year, that's, you know, like a month, a year, yeah. somebody's in severe pain.
0: Yeah.
1: How does that change how they function? How does that change their brain? Um,
0: how does it change their you- breathing?
1: How does it change yeah. their breathing? Yeah. Yeah. Like all of those things, and then they have a car accident, and they have what is considered like a minor injury. But how does that then change how they can respond and heal?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because their system is already wound up in a lot of ways. Exactly. From from uh, what from their menstrual uh, issues, right? So so what do you think are some questions that uh, you know say um, you know uh, someone uh, you know physio in the community seeing someone that uh, you know has obviously had. Uh, had some kids, uh, you know, and maybe is thinking, maybe I need to ask some, some, you know, questions that are maybe going to uncover some things.
1: Well, just on our intake forms, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we all have a medical history form and people are really honest, but do we pay attention to what they, what's on there? And, and do you just ask a question? Oh, you, you, you know, you, you marked, um, bladder, you, you marked bladder incontinence. Um, Is this something that bothers you and would you like help with it? Mm -hmm. So people will give a little bit of information, but do we then ask that next question? Mm -hmm. And and I've had the comment made to me is that's fine when I work in private rooms, but how do you answer these questions in curtains? And that's a really good point.
0: Yeah, that is actually.
1: But you can always point to something and say, "Is this something you'd like more information about? Is this a bother to you?" Mm-hmm. And then that can open things up for further discussion.
0: Yeah, it definitely adds an extra level of uh, complexity in terms of you know fostering that therapeutic relationship in that that first session. Right. Because
1: yeah. if you're yeah. if you're paying attention to those things. Um, it's going to show that you're actually looking at that person as a, as a whole and looking at what they need compared to, okay, I've got an agenda. I need to see what's going on with your back. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that other stuff that's on your medical history later.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that I mean, really points to the fact that you need to have the time with the patient to really start to uncover some of those things, even from an assessment standpoint. I mean, what, what are your thoughts right. on that?
1: You've got to be able to listen,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but th- at the same time, um, I wonder, because I know I certainly went through a time, you know, doing the questions, you know, what would you give your pain and how severe is it? We go through a little written list. If maybe we started off the conversation with, what would you like help with?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that can change things up. Mm-hmm. Um and what, we, what are the three most important things you want to get out of today that yeah. can change how you do it, which then requires being flexible and being able to change up how you do things, which is probably not something that as a new grad physio, I would have been able to do. I think at yeah. that point, you're just trying to get the experience yeah. and you do have to be into a routine.
0: Yeah. 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 It's it's you just are trying to get through your day and yep. you know, trying to stay somewhat on, on time and, yep. you know. Achieving some level of uh, you know <laughs> of outcome at the end of a session or an assessment, but yeah, no, I think that's good. I mean, I think it's even just in terms of how we're asking those questions can have such a different uh outcome in terms of of that interaction with the patient. Um, you know, which is which is something that we uh, we it's true we, we just sort of um, we uh, sort of just go by by route memorization in some ways. It's like we're comfortable with this form of questioning, so that's what we're gonna do. Uh, for every patient
1: and there's, I think there's a way that you may need to do that early in the career to just develop a whole, um, a whole background on how you get variations. Mm -hmm. But what you'll realize quickly over time is it doesn't usually give the results that you want. Yeah, exactly. Um, because I know just asking those and I know, Oh, how do you control sometimes asking those open-ended questions? Yeah, <laughs> everybody, everybody has that memory of that. Okay, how do I get this back on course? Because now I'm hearing way more than I really wanted to about an area that I really can't have any influence on.
0: So, um, so how do you deal with that then? What's, what's your, what are some of the strategies you use uh, for that?
1: Um, well, one of the strategies we use at the clinic is we've got a fairly involved intake form, in which we ask the person to write down all of their injuries, not just what they think is pertinent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how they, rec- and then we can use that to recover. But then we have a sheet that's like almost a functional sheet. So instead of asking about pain, we ask how well they sleep. We ask how well they manage stress, what they do to manage stress. Um, and w- do they think they're going to improve and give us three things they want to improve on? And then a bit of a functional test. So by the time I walk in the room, they already have an idea mm-hmm. that this is not going to be tell me where it hurts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've tried to change it up that way. Okay. So okay. That, that sort of has set a different uh, uh, an approach. Um, and we may have had them fill out an outcome measure um, again, like we for for pelvic health, we use the pelvic floor distress inventory because it combines two or three, which it also includes um, so it includes bowel bladder prolapse, and then it asks, "How much of a bother is this?" Hmm. So again, it's got them thinking about that before I walked into the room. yeah, and yeah. then I can start with, and I often start with tell me the story in whatever way you want." Hmm. And then, if I get a blank look, I'll start with. Tell me what you'd like help with today,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then that goes for, well. How long has this has been a bother? Mm-hmm. When does it bother you? And um, and we go from there.
0: Yeah, mm. great. Um, so I know we uh, you know you had alluded to uh, talking a little bit about men's uh, men's pelvic pain and men's health uh, a little earlier, and I know that obviously you know when we think of pelvic health, we often think of of you know women's health and you know and prenatal and post uh, postpartum and but, I, but I'm yeah. uh, interested to know, you know, if you can you know, fill in for, uh, for listeners here, you know, what you're seeing in terms of male pelvic pain and, and some of the, maybe the trends or uh, experiences that you've had in that area.
1: Well, and I, this is an area that I am certainly not the expert in. Um, Sheena Wharton, who I work with, tends to see the majority of the men in our clinic. Um, and it is an area, and it's an area of healthcare where I would say that men are not getting the care they made, they need. Um, and so the men fall into two groups. We have the people post prostatectomy mm-hmm. um, that we could be seeing. Um, but for the majority of them, the research isn't clear on, on how well physiotherapy works. And I know there's some current studies looking around exercise programs because they really do need uh, um, a lot of group exercise programs that would be beneficial. So we have that group with the leakage problems. And so we're then talking about men over the age of 50, generally. Yeah. Pelvic pain is men from all ages. And um, some of it's from cycling. Um, some of it's from sitting. Some of it's from injury. Some of them it's because of uh, what started out as a an inflammation or an infection. And then either through wind up or the muscles tightening, um, they have just ended up with pain that they can no longer sit. Men are definitely probably more of a problem with pedental neuralgia. Oh, okay. um, yeah. um, but you know I always hate saying that because then people go on to the Google and then they look at what's out there and then we really have a problem getting them settled down from what they see on the sites. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You've got your work cut out for you then.
1: <laughs> right. The majority of the the men Often ha- do have some musculoskeletal problems that may be affecting it, but by and large they tend to have very tight pelvic floors, um, and and that even is with the post prostate group. We have to teach them how to relax, then we can get them stronger, and then they have a number of connective tissue connect, connective tissue problems. Um, and then it can be around breathing and um, anxiety and some of the depression. But some of that, the anxiety and the depression comes because they've been a year or two not being able to sit, not being able to and have and not being able to have uh, much of a sex life. Mm-hmm. So there's really a lot of things that go with that, and yeah. and and that's the uh, another area of pelvic health is the sexuality piece that. Um, I, I still hear some people, well, I don't mind dealing with the poop and the pee talks, but I'm really not comfortable with sex. Um, and if you're doing pelvic health, you have to become fairly comfortable fairly quickly talking about sexuality yeah. and yeah. and not being an expert in it ne- necessarily, but at least allowing people to talk about it. Um, because if you're having problems with your bladder, chances are it's affecting your sex life.
0: Yeah. Which I guess points to the, uh, you know, again, that uh, discussion about... Private rooms versus the open curtain uh, right. treatment areas, right?
1: Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, and even with your, you know, like your guys with you know, like any of the neurological patients, like yeah. I think it, those are areas we should at least be comfortable with to say if is this is affecting your sex life. There's um, people that can help you, and giving them permission to maybe talk about those things because we tend to talk with our patients a lot, mm-hmm. and then knowing the resources of where to send them mm-hmm. and. We are going to be fortunate that here in Edmonton, um, there's a certificate in sexual health that will be rolling out in September of this year from the Faculty of Rehab. Oh, that's great. Yeah, thank you to Dr. Shanif Eshmel for the perseverance mm-hmm. and the tenaciousness to make this happen because I know he's been wanting this for probably close to a decade wow. and it's finally happening.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. No, it's true because I mean that's really there's a there's really a gap in terms of education around that. Um, you know from yeah. what I've seen, right? But
1: Well, and and I know my own knowledge comes from a lot of reading um, and a lot of, and just going to some conferences and being willing to listen and having someone like Dr. Eshmael to sort of encourage you in where you need to be going. And and it's interesting that, in spite of how much is on the internet um, and what we're available with, how poorly sexual health is understood for both male and female and, and how much there can be things that we as physios can do to, um, to help just to make sure and to give people good advice.
0: Yeah. Are there any books that you would recommend in terms of, uh, the area of sexuality?
1: Um, I'm just as a, so for all women, women's anatomy of arousal is an amazing book. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just off the top of my head. Um, trying to find sex positive books. There's good books, um, guide to getting it on probably has more information than anybody really yes. has more information than <laughs> I knew. Um, and, um, it, when, we, cause everything else that we tend to look at is like, you know, um, headache in the pelvis, uh, when sex sets hurts, which is a good book. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as basic information, I'm going to have to think about that, Andrew. Yeah, <laughs> because right. I tend to take it from a bunch of different things. But women's anatomy of arousal for, for female mm-hmm. sex positive is yeah. probably one of the ones that's a hidden treasure.
0: That's, well, that's good. I mean, because I think that, uh, you know, if, if people are who are listening are interested in, in you know, getting a little bit of a, a better understanding of their area, that's, uh, you know, a good first place to maybe look at uh, so I'd like to uh, talk with you a little bit about uh, your thoughts around you know the pendulum that swings between uh, (laughs) transverse abdominis exercises and should we be doing them uh, they're helpful not helpful research shows that they you know are are, well that that seems to vary and and you know and then it's McGill bracing strategies and and so I guess I you know I I would like to know what your thoughts are on that and I know that um, you know, we've chatted in the past about uh, hypopressives, and I think that a lot of people may not necessarily be familiar with, with okay. that form of exercise. So I'd like to know, you know, where you're sort of sitting on that
1: Well, curve. the two words that are going to be on my gravestone, according to one of my colleagues, it depends. <laughs> um, you know, and I have seen the pendulum um, swing where we were spending a lot of time teaching people to do these really small contractions and and I think there was a value in that but then we didn't finish the course of treatment and so then people may have thought that that's how they needed to go through life the same thing with McGill bracing there's a place for all these things but it has to fit within the function And um, having taken courses from some of the, some different, some of the big names, like whether it's Hodges, Griswold Poole, Diane Lee, um, I think some of the, where the controversy is is maybe in the wording and people taking something from an article and thinking that's how the person practices. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I think you really have to look at the person in front of you and then figure out what strategies are going to work.
0: Mm-hmm. So what would be some uh, things that you would think about in terms of which strategy to uh, choose with a particular patient?
1: Um, well, some patients have no idea where any of their abdominals are. so something, so they're so trained into using, Um, a bracing technique where they're pushing down and they're really overworking in everything they've been doing. So that's where going back and doing some of those really gentle TA kind of cues, you know, like gently pull in, um, you know, pretend you're like, gently pull in the lower part of your abdominals and try to hold that while you keep breathing. Maybe what you need to do to get them out of that, get out of that habit But you may be just as effective by trying to get them to get into a better posture because it may be that, you know, they're sticking the chin out. Um, So it's trying to figure out um, from the model that many at our clinic use the integrated systems model um, what's driving the problem. And then figuring out what are the cues. And even if you're using those few cues, like a TAQ, you're only using it for a few weeks mm-hmm. or a shorter period of time until they're integrating it into movement patterns.
0: Exactly. It's, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, because, you know, like I can remember thinking, you know, okay, so I'm walking along and with every step I go 10% TA, 10% pelvic floor, 10%. I mean, people don't do that. <laughs> they don't.
0: don't
1: know. And, and we know they don't do that. <laughs>
0: Okay. <laughs> oh.
2: But
1: that's where we sort of, and not to say I didn't do this. Like I mean, I, like I think of the number of things I have probably done very wrong over the years, and which may have led people into persistent problems. Um, yeah, there's probably more than I'd want to think about. <laughs> yeah, just talk about that. Well, yeah, so, so you know, to, to go off on a tangent with that would be. I wonder how many patients I have trained into chronic pain because of it constantly asking how much pain are you in, what do you do to get rid of your pain, and getting them to focus on how much pain they're in versus how are you breathing. Um, You know, you don't have pain all the time, so what do you do to make yourself feel better?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs)
1: Um, So the T, I just find it fascinating, though, the polarizing on the, some of the blog posts and some of the things I'm reading on around TA and pelvic floor, um, and I just wonder where it's coming from.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is interesting, and I and I think that um, yeah, you know, sometimes it can leave you a little confused in terms of well, what's the, what approach should I be taking, right? And uh, well, well, yeah. it's like
1: it's like the pelvic floor. I mean, um, you know. People were going around saying, okay, I want you to do a strong pelvic floor contraction to get their DTA to function. Well, that has certainly led to a lot of overactive pelvic floors, and including a new textbook that's just out called the Overactive Pelvic Floor. Um, Because the pelvic floor was never meant to engage at a maximum contraction Mm -hmm. doing a leg lift. Yeah. Um, and then, that, in fact, those are the things we assess to figure out what are the strategies that people are using.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, what, tell me about hypopressives. What, so what, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Unless,
0: oh, wait, or unless you had you, something more to at,
1: at, at Hypopressives are a technique that were originally developed by Marcel Coffre, who's a physiotherapist from Bel- Belgium originally, but does most of his work in Majorca, Spain. Um, I have been using portions of what he did, which was this apnea or aspiration, for years because I was taught it by Claudia Brown, Chantal Dumoulin, Bernadette de Gasquet. So it was coming out of sort of a French tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we got introduced to these whole method hypopressives um, about three years ago. And it's a whole body exercise um, in a way probably similar to Pilates or yoga, but just a different way of doing a series of exercises that, um, just encourages, and we, it's called an automatic recruitment of the pelvic floor and the core. Hmm. And the research isn't good enough that's available. I mean, I know that. Mm -hmm. Um, but what's been fun is that These are part of a whole package with pelvic floor muscle training, and they work really, really well for incontinence and for pelvic organ prolapse as part of the package. Mm -hmm. But we've also found them to be really useful with some of our patients with persistent um, lumbopelvic problems, um, uh, some of them with persistent, even neck, not so much neck, but probably thoracic. and and Andrew, I think part of it is they're new, they're different, they're not a threat because mm-hmm. this person ha- hasn't been injured doing them, mm-hmm. in the way that well, I did I did Pilates and it didn't work, or I did this yoga thing and it didn't help me. So I'm not sure if it's the novelty, but what I find is they're a great way that patients then can take control because we find that when they do them, it's like a reset button. Mm-hmm. Um, they do these. And it resets their body and then their their patterns of movement are more optimal and they have that control.
2: Hmm.
1: So, And they're relatively easy to, well, I'm to say relatively easy to learn. They're very precise mm-hmm. in the way you get into the poses. And if you go online and you look, you'll see these people doing the apnea, which looks like their abdominals are being sucked up somewhere back to their back
2: and up and, and <laughs> that's the pictures. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, and those people also have no body fat. Um, right. But the power of hypopressives is, is in the poses, and and I and all I can say is if you're interested, you need to go and train with somebody. And there's a bunch of us around that have done the training because it's not something you can learn on YouTube. You have to be taken through it and feel it in your body, and then you go. That's kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. So just to, to go a little further with that, instead of me having to give somebody four stretches and clam exercises in bridge mm-hmm. or squats or lunges, they do five minutes of hypopressives and they're functioning better and they go for a run. Gotcha. So And then they come back from their run and they check to see if they've still got optimal alignment, recruitment, whatever. Mm-hmm. And if they haven't, they do five more minutes of hypopressives.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah and,
1: and I can't wait for somebody to take up a, a bigger uh, interest and in do some really good research. Mm-hmm. Um, with the apnea, I've, you know we've been chatting about how it works. Uh, the Spanish would say it comes from changing up the pressures. and, and Coffrey actually did do some basic research that showed that. Did he do an RCT? No um, but they're trying to look at how it's working and uh, we don't really know what I can tell you is it is a great way of mobilizing the diaphragm Mm -hmm. and that may be what some of our patients need.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So It's
1: just, it's another good tool in the toolbox is all I would say.
0: So on that note, would you say that you're using hyperpressives more than say, say TA exercises if you're looking for that low, um, great contraction or, or would you say that you're still, uh, using them for, for different, uh, scenarios?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know what? It really, it depends on the person Yeah, and, and we really, um, assess that person and we try them on a few things and see what is going to give us the big gap and give the patient the fastest and the, uh, the, the best ability to take some control so that their function is better. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons we're using them in, pel- in the pelvic health area is because we had a bunch of patients that weren't doing well in traditional pelvic floor muscle training. We integrate this in and suddenly doing those three sets of 10 or doing those very, um, you know, doing the, the traditional Kegel, mm-hmm. they're more effective. They can feel what they're doing and um, and then they'll do the exercises long enough to be effective. Yeah.
2: But yeah which is important
1: and we don't just do hypos we're you know combining it with manual therapy techniques and other things at the same time
0: yeah. and then obviously looking at how to integrate that into functional movement and
1: you well, know carrying that yeah. through
0: the actual continuum of care, you know as you right. alluded to earlier, yeah. Well, that's great. Um, awesome. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground today. Uh, so, Mary, I really want to thank you for uh, joining me on the show here. And uh, I know we'll put some of these uh, resources and uh, links on the, on the website in the show notes um, and uh, go from there. So, thanks for, thanks for being a part of this.
1: Okay. okay. Thank you, Andrew, for the opportunity.
0: Yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mary. To find the show notes for this episode, just head over to the Ignite Physio website at ignitephysio.ca forward slash blog. Plus, I'd love for you to leave a review of the show on iTunes. This helps uh, improve the rankings of the podcast on iTunes and helps other physiotherapists discover the podcast. If you have any questions, topic ideas, or would be interested in being a part of the show, just let me know by dropping me a line at hello at ignitephysio.ca. Take care.